Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. This is Father Kristen here at St. Mary's Episcopal Church with my good friend, <laughs> Rabbi Durbin. Rabbi Durbs, what's happening, bro, for another episode? I think we're like on 133. You're from Temple Bat Hayam, and uh, you you are my co-host with this, this, this ritualist, this ritual. We have created a ritual. I find this is a sacred ritual. If I don't pray before this podcast and it turns into a bunch of me, me, me. So I would say, mm-hmm. since we're talking about ritual, there's a, there, there, this has become a sacred pattern, not just a pattern that we do, not just a tradition, but a sacred pattern for me, at least. Um, oh, no, I agree. I, look, I, I love it. I mean, it is a tradition. It is, it is something customary that we do uh, on a week to week basis. We know Friday mornings, nine o'clock. You and I are on the radio as we've done for the last, what, two and a half years, mm-hmm. um, right? And, and I think that there's something about it, even during the week, uh, you know, uh, as I text you or you'll text me, hey, when can we talk this week? It's, 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 it's creating that sacred space to be able to talk through what's going on so we can make a greater impact. I think that that is the what, that's what we're going to discuss. That's today. what we're going to discuss. And we know that, and I was reflecting this morning that if I don't, in my morning prayer, if I don't pray over this podcast, and I know times where I haven't, um, it, it will become more about my point of view and just me trying to be on a podcast. So I think it is sacred because you have to invite God into it. That's where we're talking about. What makes a ritual a ritual? What makes it just a tradition? What makes it just meaningless within religion? And what makes it really powerful to bring us closer to the sacred, closer to God? That's today's podcast. All that's coming at you right now but first you need to subscribe to this podcast whether you're on stitcher google play apple Podcasts, do it leave a comment we want to know what you want to hear and if you want to support ever uh this this podcast we would love to hear from you um get, get a commercial on here uh you can hit us up at uh, your favorite christian at gmail.com because the priest and a rabbi at gmail.com we lost the password and we can't find it and google says we won't give it to you so now we're screwed all right everyone god bless you enjoy this podcast and we'll see you on the flip side A priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi. The opinions you hear from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Bay Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, Grab your Bible or a Torah and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. The Lord be with you. Welcome to A Priest and a Rabbi. My name is Father Christian from St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart, Florida. Next to me is the ever dapper, wonderful rabbi. His name is Rabbi Matthew Durbin from Temple Beth Hayam, also in Stewart. He is my colleague. He is also my brother. And it is another beautiful morning here. And Rabbi, we're going to get ritualistic this morning. How do you feel about that? You know, I'm excited. I'm excited. I think, uh, you know, as we as we talked about this the other day and kind of going through, you know, our our respective religious traditions um, and looking at, you know, what is a tradition? What is custom? What is ritual? Um, can we recreate our rituals to make them more impactful and more meaningful 
And if we do, do we enhance ourselves and our own communities or perhaps um, is it a hindrance in some way? So love to, uh, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited to tackle and uh, explore the issue with you. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see if we come up with when does a ritual hinder us? Um, and But when does ritual really help us? Like once we define what is ritual within the church or ritual in general, uh, in, in the church, in the synagogue, in all religion, uh, and then w when is it really helping us? Like without it, you you would really lose a major piece. But then when does it really get in the way, uh, which can, I don't know, well, I'm sure you know this, one of the most contentious places in, in any house of worship is the worship space. And people, there's a lot of sacred cows there. So if you have a ritual that's not really doing much, you feel as as the rabbi, and there's going to be a lot of people saying, Rabbi, you don't touch that. You don't do that. We've been doing that here forever. And you have a bigger history of that than we Christians. We're just babies next to our Jewish brothers. Which is sisters. which is an, a very, um, you know, I, I think a very interesting thing that you just said, which is, look, as, as I'm sure you probably experienced as a newly minted priest, as many rabbis do as newly ordained rabbis, as we go into congregations and our communities, and we want to shake things up. We want to change things. We want to do things our way. And uh, I think that's one of the biggest uh, and the gravest challenges that we face as clergy, which is at least from a Jewish perspective, we are guides uh, to facilitate growth and community. But we also are aware that there is a very impactful Hebrew phrase called minhag hamakom. And that means the custom of the place which is to say that if there's something that I come into a community and I'm not enamored by it and I want to change it, I have to be aware of the culture to which I have entered into and be sensitive enough to not make lasting and rapid change so immediate. You know, we know, um, you, know you know as well as I do, uh, and many of uh, our folk do, is that, look, at the end of the day, we want change. In some degree or semblance, we want a little bit of change. But when change is there, sometimes we become resistant to that change because it's out of our comfort zone. It's out of our box. It may be uh, uncomfortable for us to, to kind of uh, delve into. But I think it is necessary. Uh, I, I, I truly do. Yeah, so we're going to talk about just what what is the significance of these longstanding customs, rituals, laws, traditions, but really focusing on rituals today. Um, if you are a religious or non-religious person and you're listening to this and you're like, okay, I, I, I got to talk to you about how, why ritual has gotten in the way of me going to church, to synagogue, wherever, give us a call. 772-220-9788. 772-220-9788. We are so curious, just as clergy members, is you as folks who are uh, going to either your synagogue to your church um, maybe you left a ritualistic church like mine the episcopal church and you said you know what i'm going full-fledged evangelical non-denominational because i don't want any of that ritual stuff it, it, it got in the way or maybe you were in a non-ritualistic tradition and you found your way into the synagogue because you're like they respect great ritual and i feel like it brings me closer to god um, or maybe it just brings you closer to community we want to know because we just you know us clergy people are, are we just like talking a lot but we have to listen to you guys and want to know what's working so let's let's just start right from the beginning my brother can you kind of start to parse this out how do we even get to a ritual like what is a ritual but how do you how do we even get there in a religious sense i mean i think i think i think what happens first and again this is just my own commentary um i think with a ritual 
it are things that we do within our own religious spaces or our own denominational spaces um, that we do multiple times, right? We have a, a, a long-standing tradition that says, look, you know, we do it once, great. We do it twice, it becomes a pattern. Three times, it becomes almost ingrained as, as tradition. You know, one of our rituals um, that we have uh, is, is you know, in, in, in some degree, some, some minor one, um, but bar but mitzvah, right? It is a major rite of passage for our students. And for those that may not be familiar, um, it is the age at which one becomes the age of maturity. In, in, in boys, it's 13. Uh, in girls, traditionally, it's 12. As a reform movement, we've done 13-13 for boys and girls to make them equal because of equality and the fact that, um, you know, we, we want to make it balanced in some way. You know, when I, when I first started serving um, this community that I'm in, uh, to which I love, an awesome community, um, you know, they had a tradition at some point of um, not only doing Shabbat, which would be Saturday, uh, Friday night, Saturday, um, bar but mitzvahs, uh, both in the morning and in the afternoon. The afternoon poses many, many challenges. The afternoon on Shabbat changes the Torah portion for the next week. There's liturgy that we say in the morning, not in the afternoon. And the custom had been for our kids to be able to just do a morning service at 4, 4.30 in the afternoon. And when I came in, uh, you know, my visceral reaction was, this just isn't right. This isn't what we do. Right, as Jews, we read the Torah on Mondays, on Thursdays, and Shabbat morning. Now, why Mondays and Thursdays? Those back in the days of Ezra the scribe, um, back in biblical days, those were big market days, right? So with those big market days became, you know, what better opportunity for people to hear the words of Torah than when everyone is assembled together, selling their wares, selling food, selling clothing, this, that, and the other in, in, in Jerusalem. So, so we can, can we just mark that, what you just said, that, that that became a ritual. So that is now a very sacred ritual. When you read the Torah in the temple, that came out of a practicality of what Christians would call evangelism. How are you going to share this good news? And that was practical because it met the needs of the people. Was it because... I mean, it did, that didn't come down from the mountaintop. That was God's people listening to practicality. God gave them reason and said, if we want to be effective of delivering the scripture, delivering the word, these are the days because of the marketplace. So the marketplace, I don't want to say dictated, influenced Absolutely. when the word, and that became now sacred ritual, right? It's so important for us to know. So if you want to change things, you can say, guys, this wasn't given down on some tablets from God. It was a practical thing that our ancestors are made. And so now we are in a different context and we can start to maybe bend a little bit here to meet the needs of the people, right? Which but I know is a scary idea because sometimes you don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, but I just wanted yeah, to note that. And I think, I think that there, there are, you know, I, I know when, 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 when I approach the subject with my leadership, with my community, you know, something that where, you know, the response I got, which I'm sure many of us would probably, you know, have in the back of our minds is, but Rabbi, we have done this for the last 20 some odd years. This is our congregation's custom ritual tradition. Creatures of comfort. Yeah. And, 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 and look, I'm not trying to say that, you know, my heart was stone and I was ice cold and, you know, this is just not for me. You know, I, I went into it with an open mind. Okay. So what, what is the end result? The end result is our kids do an afternoon service 
they do the same stuff that they would do on a morning service. And then we end the service with Havdalah. And for those that are not familiar, Havdalah is the process by which we uh, end Shabbat and we bless our working week uh, through um, um, through this ritual and this and this and this process that we do. So, in the one hand, I saw it as a beautiful ritual that was being done. I mean, it was it was it was beautiful. On the other hand, I saw it as slightly confusing. Our kids can't be reading morning liturgy in the afternoon. If the Torah portion changes to the week to the next week, well, then they're you know sometimes they're reading the Torah portion of that morning, and and there was a lot of confusion. So we went back, and this wasn't something I decided to to change overnight. It was a long, in-depth process of education. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the reasons why and how this came about. And ultimately, we made the decision. It took a couple of years for us to eliminate the afternoon <laughs> bar but mitzvah and commit ourselves to a morning service. Hmm. But that in and of itself, and, and I think it's important, as you said, to parse it out, I think part of it is we need to understand where and why these rituals came into being. Yes. Like there's a very traditional, very orthodox mentality and vision that says if there are not 10 able-bodied people, then certain rituals, certain customs, certain things cannot be, cannot be done. You know, on a bereavement issue, right? Somebody passes away, right? The, the tradition is that we need 10 people why? To be there for funeral. We need Why is that? people to be able to say liturgy for our loved ones who have passed. And why is that? Where does that come from? Is that biblical? Well, the, the time itself is, is, I mean, it is biblical. It comes out in terms of, you know, we call it a minyan, um, a minion, right? Ten people to be able to congregate together, to uh, be together as a community. And that's is that all from like, is that from Leviticus? Is that from, where is that from? Um, I mean, it gets it gets it gets talked about within within the confines of the Bible, but then gets really enumerated later uh, in, in what we call nice early rabbinic literature, right? So, in and of that, it would say that if I lost a loved one, and you know, we went through funeral and burial, and then we as Jews have a process called shiva. Now, shiva is a seven-day mourning period in which we offer prayers. Um, and our, our compassion and our understanding to, to our loved ones, right? Certain rituals do happen. But even of that itself, we are saying that to say the mourner's Kaddish, which is a, not really a prayer for the dead, it is more of an uh, you know, uh, exaltation of God, um, how magnificent and God, how great God is, really showing us and informing us that however short or however long we had a loved one, it was a gift. It was a gift from God, right? So that being said, if there aren't 10 people, that prayer is not recited. Now, I feel very strongly against that part of my tradition that says if I have three people who wish to say the Kaddish prayer for their loved one, why would I deny that for somebody else? Right? If I was Orthodox, that's just the way tradition is. As a Reformed Jew, I say, I've got two people who want to say Kaddish for their loved one. Two people can say Kaddish for their loved one. It's the so same wait, thing get, with the Torah. So let's press, because we're using two different terms right now. Now we, now we got tradition, now we got ritual. And yesterday when we were talking on the phone, you made a, 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 a good point of saying, I think, I believe you said, you said there's 
we start with a maybe a, a pattern <laughs> and then we get to a tradition and this becomes traditional that traditional becomes ritualistic and that ritual sometimes can go to law and what i'm noticing here is that what what becomes to me what it seems like a ritual is is sacred pattern a pattern that becomes sacred so tradition makes it seem like tradition is a sort of like almost has a secular feel to it. This is tradition. We always do this together. It's our family does this, whatever. But for a religious tradition, then it becomes ritualistic because it is something almost blessed and anointed by God that we do. And I'm sure you would have some Orthodox colleagues who would say, well, no, 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 no Rabbi, those 10 days are not just tradition. They're, they're, it's a sacred ritual. It's a sacred pattern because you, I mean, not 10 days, those 10 people, uh, because God calls us to community. God calls us to be there for one another. And if we start saying three people is all you need, uh, we're, we're, we're not holding our community accountable. You need 10 people to really pray for one another and love one another. And we need to say, you need to leave work. You need to do whatever you need to do to make sure you're there for one another. And, ten, and if we start saying, well, let's do five, let's do three. Now we're giving into secularism. Now we're allowing people to put religion second, which is something that you and I, um, and I think that probably rabbis, thousands of years I had to deal with too, that there's always this competition with the secular world. I don't think it's just America in the 21st century. It, we're, we're, it, we have things and we, we have to deal with soccer practice and all that. I, I, back in the day, you had to deal with Babylon. You had to deal with, I feel like that competition was always there. Maybe I'm just, I'm not, I'm not a, his, a historian, um, but is that right? Do you feel that that, that progression of a, a, a like there's a pattern, it becomes traditional, tradition can become ritualistic, that becomes very sacred, a sacred ritual, and then it can also become law, you know, that, 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 that and then, and does that, does that sound? I think, that? John, I think, I think you, you, you mentioned it right in the beginning part, which was, look, when we look at things that we make as traditional for ourselves, very individualistic, and in some way, you said it when you said the word family, I do these traditions in my family, they may not always be the same from family to family or community to community. You know, I mean, you know, a, a North American phenomenon, we're going to start hitting it. You know, we hit it next Saturday with, with, you know, next Saturday night will become Passover, right? Passover is seven days, according to the, to, you know, according to the Torah. If we live outside the diaspora, sometimes it's eight days, right? But the Torah says seven days. You know, one of the traditions that we've always had in my family is that first night Seder was always part of my mom's family's tradition. Second night Seder, we would go to my, my, my aunt's house, my father's sister, and have a big Seder together with that side of the family, right? That's what we always did. Growing up, my Zadie, also known as my grandfather, would lead, um, you know, those, uh, you know, would lead the Seder as part of our family. There was always tradition. You know, in my family growing up, my father had his place at the table, right? Long, uh, you know, um, dining room table. My father sat at the head of it right? It was tradition. If any one of us sat in it, it was, it was almost taboo, right? But we've made these rituals, and I think you said it too, is we've made these traditions meaningful. And, and what makes something meaningful not necessarily makes it holy. It's special. It's different. It's important. But like you said, to render something as holy or bring God into it, makes that sacred space meaningful, makes it valuable, and makes it so that we can really understand where we're, what we're really about. Well, so maybe what your example here of like family traditions can help us to reflect on religious traditions, which we'll call ritualistic rituals, is that 
any of the things that you just described, where your where your grandpa sit, your zaidi, you know, uh, in Arabic we say majido, right? Uh, is is that do, did any of those rituals ever get in the way of family bonding or family community, or were they always very helpful? These traditions of you as a family was there every time where the kids, where you and your siblings or whomever was just like, mom, dad, are you serious? This tradition is is actually an impediment to us growing together as a family this is ridiculous can we move on um or were they always do you look back at all those different traditions and be like god bless it all man i have such great memories and it really helped our family grow i think i think it's a bit of both i mean more so on the on the latter end i mean i think i think look as jews um we are very methodical and we are very uh we we use a lot of thought into what we do to provide meaning for us. You know, we, we have a process, you know, generally in the afternoon of Rosh Hashanah, what we do, which is called Tashlich, right? Tashlich is the process by which we cast away our sins symbolically, right? Normally we dig into our pockets, we take out lint, whatever it is, dust, whatever, and we cast it into a, uh, a, a river or a water that is constantly flowing, right? For our purposes, we go down to Sulis Point Gazebo, we do it on the Intracoastal Waterway, right? But that, it was never written into law that this is what you have to do, right? It was customary. It was customary out of Eastern Europe, which a lot of our traditions and a lot of our customs largely came out of Eastern Europe. And it became this tradition that Jews did Every single Rosh Hashanah in the afternoon, they would assemble by a water's edge, right? Does that mean that if I decide not to do it, that suddenly I'm at a loss or I'm less than because I didn't do it? No, you know, it, it, it's a way to provide greater meaning or perhaps a greater impact spiritually and connectively for us to connect in some way with the divine. That's what you just, that, that's what you just nailed. So I think we are, we come from liturgical uh, uh, religious traditions. <laughs> uh, so we use liturgy as a way to find not just organization, not just method, uh, but it is a, an entry point into coming closer to the divine. And anytime that we do our liturgy or we do our rituals in the church or in the synagogue in the temple, that does not, it's just doing because just we do it. I think we start to lose people or people get, dis get, get disenchanted. They're just like, here we're just going through these same prayers. It's, it's a big criticism of, uh, uh, we're, we're, we're an Anglo-Catholic tradition. We come back from, from Catholicism, the Episcopal church, and we have, we say the same prayers a lot of, every single Sunday, every morning prayer. It's just like same. I mean, you will get bored out of your mind if you're just reciting the same prayers every single morning, evening. Uh, but it, there's it, a with, difference between saying a blessing or a prayer out of our liturgy to which we do by rote as opposed to infusing it with meaning. What the, and that's where you and I have to come in as good leaders. That's where I'm finding more and more of saying why we do what we do. My boss is great because he's, he always gets to, and when people challenge when we want to change rituals, they'll be like, whoa, 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 you can't do that. That's how we always do it. That's our tradition. He'll go back and he'll pull what you just did, Rabbi, and say, well, the reason why we did this is because of the marketplace. The reason why we read the Torah on these days is because of the marketplace, because it's where people were there. They were meeting the needs of the people. So we can change this because now we're trying to meet the needs of the people. That's what good liturgy is. It's the work of the people. And so it, there's this constant discussion of we have to talk about why we do what we do. And also the times when we, we do a thing called instructive Eucharist where we walk through the liturgy during the worship 
and we say, okay, now we're about to say the Lord's Prayer. This Lord's Prayer was created by Jesus himself. And the reason why we say this is blankety blank, blank, blank. When you learn, and I'll admit, I did not know half the stuff until I went to seminary, okay? And I'm a born and bred Pescopalian from the cradle. I didn't know half the reason why we did it. I just did it. It worked for me. Uh, but not every church geek, not every person, it works for them. When I went to seminary, I was like, holy cow, that's the history of that prayer. That's why we say the Nicene Creed. That's why we say the confession, the absolution. It means so much to me, and it makes worship so much more powerful. Without that meaning behind that ritual, it just becomes a thing. And now people get bored, and, and they tap out, and they leave, and we're doing them a disservice. So I, as, as, as clergy, um, I'm always reminded that we know a lot because we went to school for it. But we, ha we can't assume that everyone knows that stuff too because they didn't have the luxury of being able to go to seminary. Of informing them because it helps them to see liturgy, to see these rituals as a pathway to bring you to a deeper presence with the sacred. So, all right, we're, we're, where are we at with time here? Yeah, we're, 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 we're gonna take a, a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna say, we're gonna look at where has ritual really, where just has it become an impediment? I wanna hear from the rabbi about where he feels like ritual has become an impediment maybe to people even showing up, uh, to people even practicing your Judaism. And I'm gonna say this too in the Episcopal Church. And where, where could we, as clergy think like, where could we make some changes to meet the needs of people in 2021? Um, if you have thoughts on this, you have thoughts on ritual in church or in synagogue that you think is enough is enough, or it's an awesome thing, please give us a call 772-220-9788. We're gonna take a break to hear from the people who keep the lights on here here on a priest and a rabbi. You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review, five-star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And I want to let you know that I have started a YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian. And you can check it out on YouTube. And uh, every Monday, I drop a new episode. And it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. Uh, I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want 
um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor, someone to be there for you during a challenging time. And you can call the church at 772-287-3244. We also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis. They are not counselors. They are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Okay, everybody, welcome back to A Priest and a Rabbi here on 1450 WSTU, the station, the only station that would accept our radio show here in Mern County. That's not true, but it sounded juicy. Uh, I'm here with Rabbi Durbin, my wonderful co-host over at uh, Temple Beth Hayam. If you have not gone to his temple, just go and learn and grow because they do ritual, sacred ritual, uh, better than anyone because they are the OGs, the original. So you think the Episcopal Church is good at it? Stop it. We learn from these guys. So uh, we're talking about ritual today why is it a tool to the sacred and when does it become an impediment so you know it's interesting um because you you post something father anderson that um made me think a lot um you know we did you know we have rituals um that effectively became you know uh historically at the time at which something was done and that became well ingrained in our society you know what about the ability to try and change it and it made me think right we, we we entered into this conversation mondays and thursdays became big market days well i mean look i know that down here in stewart the big market days are saturday sunday well what if we tried to say well big market days are saturday sunday let's change instead of mondays and thursdays the reading of torah and Shabbat, let's do it on Sunday, because that's when the mass people will be there. Is that, would you, we use a term, is that kosher? No. Well, why not? If the ritual was at the time to be able to, right, and I see it from that way. However, I think what happened there, and again, this is my own commentary, is I think what happened there is that tradition became customary, and then that custom then got well ingrained in our own society and in some semblance became the law. We read Torah on Mondays and Thursdays. We don't waver. It doesn't become, well, I can read it on a Tuesday or I'll read it on a, on a Wednesday. No, it's Monday, Thursdays, and Saturday. Well, you know, it, it made me think, like, can we change the culture? Can we change it by being able to say, our society is different than it was two and a half thousand years ago. This is. I, when say, it is. I mean, I think if you if you I'd be interested to see if you go to your the, the the college of rabbis, whatever the virgin is of that in in, in the reformed tradition, and you state a case historically of this is why this created to be. Are we doing a disservice to our people 
that we are not truly meeting the needs. If ritual is supposed to be there to allow people as a pathway to the sacred, to pathway to God and to worship him, right now, we haven't gone, we're not listening well enough to the people to where God is directing us. I, I, you would, I mean, because if, if I, right now it seems like the rebuttal will be, well, this is how we always done it. So we need to do it this way. And when you're saying, well, no, we need to get to the core of why, why we did it. But, I mean, that's, I mean, w- listen, the, the, the seventh day is a Sabbath. Uh, for you know for us and so that's a different day for all of us depending on which calendar but for christians um it is it is uh well really should be saturday uh because sunday is the first day of the week right um but so we have worship day and so for christians a lot of people look as sunday as a sabbath but it really should be saturday and and our prayer book says saturday but in, in any event as a priest sunday cannot be my sabbath so we say monday Monday is my is our Sabbath. The whole, my whole family, Anastasia works her schedule. We all work our schedule. So Monday can be our Sabbath. So as a family, we can just be at peace, refresh, and be together. But so we changed it. So it is kind of pushing against, I mean, I don't know if the Bible would say what we're doing is wrong, but it serves the purpose of what God says. You, every seventh day, you need to take rest. But, but you're saying from a from an individualistic perspective, my Sabbath is Monday. Why can't your Sabbath be Sunday? Is it because that you're leading a congregation and a community, so therefore it's considered work, and it's not considered my own spiritual release and my ability to just be with my family and be with myself? You know, it, it, I mean, it's always interesting when we look at it, because do you see the work that you do as work? You know, I'm here Saturday mornings, 8 o'clock, 7.30, whatever it is, you know, till 1 or 2, you know. I don't consider that work. I consider it enhancing my community's commitment to their exposure and their uh, connection to God. Which also comes with health insurance, pension, and a nice salary. So, I mean, come on, let's be real. I mean, like, I, I, we, we make a joke in the Episcopal Church. There's no profits in the Episcopal Church. Why? Because no profits don't come with a pension. <laughs> and the Episcopal Church has a great pension. But this is a great topic that I think will get us off topic. So let, let, let's, let, let's get back to, 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 to ritual. So what have you seen? So you talked about the Mondays and Thursdays. This is great. If you look at what else in 2021, would you say is a, but let's say, what is a ritual that is hard to get people to practice, but you wish that we can get more people, because I have one in my mind, that would, the, the, the folks will, would be more drawn to, and it just like, you just boggle your mind, like, how can I get more people interested in this ritual, because I really do feel like it is a potent ritual that gets folks invested in the community, invested in God, but has fallen to the wayside because of competition with secularism, or whatever, what, what would be that ritual? I think, I think, in, and you raise, you raise a really, really uh, important point, right, in 2021, right, we can even go back to 2020, right, we are, we have had to embrace technology to connect and bring people together, right? Next Saturday, I'm sorry, on the 28th, second night of, of Passover, we're doing a, another community Seder. We're not doing it in person. Like last year, we have to pivot and be able to do a virtual Seder. Well, what does that mean, right? There's a tradition and, and the law, so to speak, of our Passover ritual that we do for our Seder that we read out of a Haggadah. Well, half of it gets up to the part where we have the meal, right? And if we were together, we would share in the meal together. When we are finished, then we would conclude our Seder together. 
Well, the challenges that we've had to face now are if we do a virtual Seder, I can't do 45 minutes to an hour. We're now at the meal part. Everyone go eat. I'm not going to watch you eat while we're doing a Seder so that another half hour later, we go back and we conclude the Seder. We have to be able to bring it together and to change in some way of making it all inclusive. So that at the end, by the time that, you know, it's time for the meal, maybe we've done the entire Seder so that everyone else can sign off and spend that quality time together. You know, I noticed this the other day, my, 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 my middle child had spent birthdays in a couple of weeks and she had said, dad, can you set up a Zoom uh, birthday party for me with my family? A year ago, two years ago, we never even thought about this. A new tradition. It starts it, a new and tradition. I think it is becoming the a birth, new tradition. The Zoom birthday party is becoming a tradition. It's, 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 not, it's not a, I mean, it might be one, with, it might stay and stick because, because of circumstances in 2020, it has allowed us to accept that this is a great way to get all of these friends and family from all over the world to show up at your living room and be like, just hang out. And it's like a surprise Zoom party. And my, my, I did it for my wife. My wife did it for me. And you're sitting there on the Zoom and all of a sudden these new windows keep on popping up. Like, oh my gosh, aunt showed up, blah, 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 my friend. And we never would have done that before. So does it become a new tradition, right? For us, because it feeds us, it feeds us. So our quest as, as clergy is like, I think of Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is this sacred day to invite people into 40 days of Lent, 40 days of repentance, 40 days of discernment. Without Ash Wednesday, it just, Lent just becomes maybe a thing. And you forget as a Christian, like, oh, that's right, it's Lent. I'm supposed to be repenting and maybe giving up something and focusing on the cross. So. We get people on Ash Wednesday, especially new Episcopalians, they might not be aware of it. They don't know what it is. It's mostly the people who have been tried and true Episcopalians who show up on that day at 12.10 or 7.10 p.m. that night to get their ashes. So what has the church done? The church started, I don't know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, started doing ashes to go. Catholic church does this, Lutherans do this. It is an attempt for us to say, gosh, the people are not coming into the church for this ritual. We're, it does, Ash Wednesday is not anything you sign, see in the Bible, um, but it is a, is a ritual that brings us into the salvation, the salvific history of, in the Bible. And so what do we do? We're now going, standing on street corners with ashes and saying, drive on up, I'll ash your forehead. Some priests would say, listen, I'm meeting the needs of a 21st century people. I'm gonna take this ritual and change it and make it to go because we're in a to go culture. And if I can at least get the ashes on the floor, at least give them a second to think about their mortality. And as they go to work, that is much more than them not even showing up at church. Then the other half would be like, stop it. You have minimalized and created a, you have bowed down to culture. You have minimized the power of the ritual and people's, and you're saying it's okay to just drive through and get your salvation as opposed to, no, you, you should take an hour out of your day for the sacred time to bow down before God and say, God, fill me up, refresh me and forgive me of my sins. It is this constant battle that we're, we're always doing. And uh, I mean- But I, I love what you said too, which is, which is in today's world, we are trying to meet the needs of the 21st century. And when do we go too far? And I think, I think, I think in some way we have to adapt, we have to embrace and bring things in. You know, from a Jewish perspective, we've been doing the same rituals and the same, the same traditions for thousands of years, right? There are some things in the Bible that say, and this shall be and serve for you for all time, right? Mm -hmm. Our 
certain festivals, Sukkot, Passover, Shavuot, right, are three major, major pilgrim festivals. Those shall be a sign from now till the kingdom come. I mean, because your is, faith is grounded in that. If you, there would be yeah. no reason to remove that. No reason. I mean, that you're that is what makes you a Jew, and it gives. But you yet, if we look at if we look at the 21st century, right, we've done as many synagogues as I'm sure you guys do as well. We do a blessing of the pets. Well, I would be willing to bet you that 50 years ago, nobody had ever thought about that before. Why are we doing it? Because there are some who say, look, maybe by circumstance or by, or by whatever um, situation may be, maybe I don't have children. And maybe I, I, I'm a cat lover, maybe I'm a dog lover, and I have these, these animals that serve as my family. Why can't I bless them? So we do a process. Usually we time, tie it around uh, the Torah portion of uh, Noah and uh, the flood or uh, the beginning of the book of Exodus because uh, in Hebrew it's called Shemot, which means names. So we kind of give names to our animals and it's a way of people connecting and coming together in some way. So would your and Orthodox think, colleagues think this is crazy? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because? I mean, it's it's an animal. We're we're ritualizing something that really hasn't been ritualized um, ever. So why are we doing it now? Well, I think they I are think, good, and we're very good in God's eyes. Well, I think it's also I think it's also <laughs> right for somebody to say I'm, I'm I, I need for myself a spiritual connection. Well, maybe this is one way of identifying that of, of trying to bring you in in some way through out-of-the-box experiences, out-of-the-box um, opportunities to be able to, to, to learn, to grow, to, uh, you know. Wait, wait, through a parakeet or, or a chihuahua, you, you could say that might be an avenue for someone to go into a deeper steep. I can see the pushback on that by saying, I think we're shaking hands too much with at least our American culture. Because it's just, it's, that's, that's kind of an American French culture thing where other countries, man, that dog does not come inside the house. I mean, I, we, we took our mission to Ecuador and our kids were flummoxed and totally distressed, more distressed over the treatment of dogs than sometimes the treatment of human beings. Because <laughs> they're just like, oh, I can't believe that dog is living in the trash and gets kicked. Because other, other cultures are just like, it's a, a, it's a dog. So that's where it's like, is that tradition or that blessing of the pets? Because we do it too. We do it too in the Episcopal Church. It's, oh, St. Francis, bless the pets, blah, 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 blah. That's a really. I wonder if that's more of, a, of an expression of our American culture of embracing our pets. And then you could go even further. Is it, is it, is it since we're such an individualistic culture here in America that so, we have learned to say I adore pets more than humans because they don't talk back to me and they allow me to just be do my own thing. Where it's like in other communities, it's groupistic and you adore your neighbors and you don't get to retreat from your neighbors, so you don't need a dog. Just go talk to your neighbor. I know I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but that's why no, but I so we're pushing because, back on that ritual. No, but I think it's so interesting because there is, I, I think that there are uh, glaring um, um, challenges and differences to the way that we both approach the same subject, right? Judaism has always placed a great emphasis on the proper treatment of animals, right? Hmm. If we look at it, you know, unnecessary cruelty to animals uh, is strictly and, and it is forbidden. And in many cases, animals... Um, animals are accorded the same sensitivity and compassion and understanding as human beings. Stop it. No, but that's not right. biblical. This, this, no, 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 no. It, it, it is biblical in, in the sense that, look, on Shabbat, when it is a full cessation of work, well, we don't work our animals. Our animals are to take that day of rest. We don't work them on Shabbat. 
Okay. But however, we would say that the concern for the welfare of animals, I think, is quite unique to Judaism, right? We express, and a large part of this comes out of the Talmud, it comes out of early rabbinic uh, um, uh, tradition, but it is of the understanding that we treat the same. We are not supposed to be cruel. We don't overwork our animals. They must rest on Shabbat, as do we. Because, and it goes back to that biblical statement that says that we are all of God's creatures, right? As human beings, we are a creature. As an animal, they are creatures. God created, through speech, creatures. So yeah. therefore, animals, human beings, we are to give the same to them as we give to ourselves. Yes, however, scripture also did say for a long time to put our sins upon that animal and then kill it. And I mean, the only once even offer that idea of a human beings and then revoked at the last second with, uh, you know, with Abraham and Isaac, but, but, okay. So, 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 so let's get into this. So, so where, again, what would be, if you could take one ritual of religion that you think has become an impediment, an impediment of, of folks being really engaged with their faith, with Judaism, um, what would be one of the guys, is it really that necessary? Can we can we maybe re reimagine this? But I, I think we're just doing this for the wrong reasons. So I think I think um, I think I, th there's a couple, uh, but I think it's also important to understand in terms of the background behind it. Right. One classic example is the issue of kashrut. Right. The dietary laws. Look, as a reformed Jew, as a reformed rabbi, I keep kosher style. I don't buy kosher meat. Uh, I don't mix milk and meat. I don't eat uh, what we call treif, right? Pork or seafood, right? But I don't, I don't, I don't buy kosher cheese. I keep it kosher style. <clears throat> there are many Reformed Jews and conservative Jews that don't keep the laws of kashrut. Well, what I say is let's learn about the reasons why yeah. traditionally we keep them. What is it really meant to do? Is it meant to separate us to um, um, to separate us from the rest of humanity? Or is it, and this is the way I like to approach it, it is a mindful choice that you make to be able to give yourself greater meaning or value, right? So on the one hand, right, if I keep the laws of kashrut, it is a mindful choice that I am being cautious of the food that I am consuming. Beyond the food I'm consuming, who prepares it, who gets it ready, who who is the one producing this food? It makes me much more cautious, conscious uh, of, of, what, of what is being done. Does it make me right, less of a Jew if I do or don't keep kosher? Well, I would say as a reformed Jew, it is much more important for me to instill the values and the ethics of living a good and deserving life, giving with a free and open hand, supporting my community, loving my family and all who come into my community, right? Being gracious, being hospitable, all those values are tantamount to what we do. The laws of kashrut, those are individual. Those, that's a choice that you make. That's, so, but, but is, that, is that Rabbi Durbin speaking or is that what the tradition of Judaism says? That's, 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 that's Rabbi Durbin speaking. Okay. Traditional Judaism, Orthodox Judaism would say, there are rules that you need to follow. Now, I think in some way we would go back even in an Orthodox community and say, well, I'm not gonna take it at face value. Why? Why can't I eat X, Y, or Z? Well, the Torah teaches us these are permissible. These are non-permissible animals. 
early rabbinic literature enumerates more on it on terms of what we can and cannot eat, right? But ultimately the choice is made for you if we subscribe to the understanding that God created us with the ability for choice. Life is not predestined, is not predetermined. So therefore it's my choice whether I keep these laws or not. A million Calvinists just 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 lost their mind when you said when said that uh, life is not predestined. So, but but there's a practicality though to that point. There's a reason for that ritual. Not eating pork is not a bad idea. God is saying it's not these these animals eat their own poop. So maybe not a bad idea for you guys. I mean, I know trichinosis was an issue, but there, there's things that the Bible says that's not just we do it just because. I mean, God is God's smart God. That that cutting out pork in your in your diet is actually a pretty good thing um, with it. So, and then the idea before Noah, we were all vegetarians. Millions of vegetarians would say that's actually really good for your body. Uh, but so, so I, I wonder also too with those is there is there the health thing that God is looking out for 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 you? But also, is there a thing saying, listen, I do want you to be different than the world around you. You need, I don't want you mingling too much with the outside world. And that's been a constant theme throughout scripture. You are different. You are my chosen people. You are going to eat differently, wear differently. You're going to do things differently because you're, you're not a pagan and, and you adore me. I want to keep you in line. Uh, it makes me re remember, like, I, I'm not Catholic, but I, I, I took on for a long time just not eating meat on Fridays. There's, there's, there's nothing in the Bible that says I shouldn't eat meat on Fridays, right? Only eat fish. But it became a tradition in school lunchrooms because the Catholic tradition of not eating meat on Fridays during Lent. It helped me, this is where, to your point, individualistically, helped me be mindful of God and every Friday to say, this is just a thing I do. It's just a thing. But it became a sacred thing for me because it, it kept me mindful. It didn't help me. It didn't lead me to judging others, thank God. But it said, this is just something I'm going to do that is going to keep me in line and remember every Friday, let me give up something for God and be mindful of his presence. So I think these, these, we can come up with our own rituals and hopefully all the rituals that our houses of worship offer are the same thing. Do they keep you mindful of God? And if they don't, is it time to, I mean, if someone, if someone came up to you and say, Rabbi, I, I, I don't find every time I give up, you know, pork or whatever, it, it actually is a distraction from God. And what would you say if someone said, I, I, I really like bacon and I don't think giving up bacon does anything for me in my walk with God. If you say, all right, well, what do you want to take on? That's going to help you bring on. I think, I think, I think that there, there, there's a whole multiplicity here, right? On, on the one hand, <laughs> it, it's okay. Let's talk about, you know, what, what you're eating and why you're eating it and what your thought process is, as you've discussed, right? The other is to go back to our tradition this is what our tradition says. I think it's how do we make our tradition meaningful for us without veering too far away. I mean, in the mm. issue, of I eat pork and it, look, it gives me supernatural powers and gives me, you know, a brain power. Look, all the power to you. But I think we also have to understand why Judaism has taken a stance and taken a, 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 um, a statement regarding certain X, Y, or Z. I mean, you know, when I was in rabbinical school, I, I, I had a, an, an amazing, uh, just an impactful uh, lecturer um, uh, of blessed memory who would say, and, and we engaged in a conversation where he said this, and I, I am aware of time, this is probably uh, too much uh, to be able to get into it. Our producer Evan is sitting there on the button, big guys, guys. Right, but I had, I had, this, I had this rabbi who said, you know, uh, this was many years ago, um, decades ago, that he was invited to a uh, member's home for Shabbat dinner. He attended and the family, look, non-observant, um, they just wanted the rabbi there. They had prepared for weeks and they served the rabbi baked ham. Oh. 
Ah. Well, he came back and said, what would you do? And I said, well, in a situation like that, well, I certainly wouldn't eat it. And, you know, I would explain why. And he came back and he said, so you'd embarrass the family so badly that they would never come back to Judaism again. They'd be so embarrassed because they served the rabbi the wrong food and they would, you've lost them forever. Mm. And I remember saying, but if I ate it, doesn't that send the wrong message? And the rabbi's response to me, and I remember this because he said, what I did, what he did was he took a couple bites. He needed to show his graciousness, his hospitality. Thank you so much. You know, but he didn't eat in excess as he would a normal meal. He ate a little bit to be able to say, I cannot embarrass this family who, for them, this is the only meal that they are going to have and so proud to offer their rabbi. Because the converse is people talk and suddenly it's, I can't believe you served the rabbi pork. Well, that's going to embarrass and bring them over perhaps to a, to a place where they're going to be disconnected. And to bring them back into the fold is much more challenging. And, and, and given that situation, and I, don't, I don't know what the answer is. I, I really don't. And I've struggled with this for I don't, 15, 16 years. What would, what would I do? I, I, I don't know. On the one end, it, I think it's about authenticity. On the other hand, I do believe it's not right to embarrass a family. If they are giving the best of themselves, isn't that enough, just the intent? Yeah, no, that's, and it's, it is a very good topic. I mean, that's a very good scenario to bring to a Bible study and bring to any study with, with your, with your, uh, with your community. What do you do? And so it's a good discernment on, do you get the 30,000 foot view, which I think your teacher was saying. So the 30,000 foot view is family, fellowship, love of God, the 3000 foot views, but God has given us these, these rituals to obey and to follow. And I want to be a good committed Jew. And if I take this pork, I'm disobeying what God has given us. But at the same time, I'm going to embarrass this person on the other side and create a very uncomfortable dinner. Now, now there's, uh, there's many but good. It also, goes back, it also goes back to last week or, or two weeks ago that we discussed, right? If, if in that event that, that, that I embarrass in some way, well, what's the benefit? And at the end of the day, right? If, 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 if that moment comes in, I think you have to find that balance. Where does it become a hindrance as opposed to um, a, 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 different, a different mode? Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't know one common response is why would this family think it's okay to support? But if you're saying they are, as, as in Christianity would say, they're seekers, they're new, they don't know the way, um, then, and you're trying to bring them in and ought to be pastor to them and to love on them. And your first step in doing that is saying, no, you screwed up here. Yeah, that's going to be tough, especially in the 21st century where you got people who are hungry for spirituality, but we're not going to show them how. To the sin that we have committed knowingly or unknowingly. Now, the knowing is pretty obvious. The unknowing would be, I'm very... I'm very um, um, committed to myself, and to be served pork is 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 ignorance, and it, it's 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 uh, you know it's just not it's just not right. At that same way, if I impose that upon somebody else, I may think that I'm doing it in a compassionate and understanding way, but how it's being received by somebody else may be taken negatively, and may be taken from the context of I've offended you, and for me personally, unknowingly. Yeah. Yeah, I've been on the other side of that as well, and I'll tell the story at a different time, but absolutely same thing where I've been following ritual. It's very important to me. It's something I need to do for the church to honor God, honor Jesus, but it also was not, 
I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with folks who don't have the same background as I do of religion, of, of religion, and they find it as an insult. And so you're like, what do I do? My religion says do this. I want to honor my God, but these folks don't know the reason why I do this, and they say it's an insult because I've chosen this over them. Um, so it's it's yes, we have to always get to that thirty thousand foot view, pray and discern God. What do you want me to do in this situation? You, I'll call me to love you. You call me to love my neighbor. Uh, I'm praying to you right now. I'm about to go into this room. There's pork on the table. Lead me, God, in doing this. And and hopefully you have a good relationship with God where he can kind of provoke that in you. All right, everyone. This was a great episode of talking about ritual, the point of ritual within uh, religion and within the church and the temple. When is it really helping us come closer to God and coming closer to one another? Because those, the golden rule, of course, to love our, our God with our whole heart, mind, and soul, and to love each other, um, love our neighbor. Do rituals help us do that? And if they're not... Do you really have to dismiss them or do you maybe have to like what I've learned from this episode is really understand why we do it and get to the groundwork of it. And maybe that helps alter the way we focus how we do ritual. So if you're out there listening to this, bring that up with your rabbi, bring that up with your priest, bring that up with your pastor. All right, everyone, please subscribe to our podcast, a priest and a rabbi. We love having you here. If you ever want to support this podcast, just call Evan nine at WSTU and he will take your credit card over the phone. God bless you all. We love you. We'll see you next week here on a priest and a rabbi. 